Welcome to the Sadler Lectures podcast. Responding to popular demand, I'm converting my philosophy videos into sound files you can listen to anywhere you can take an MP3. If you like what you hear and want to support my work, go to patreon.com sadler. I hope you enjoy this lecture. In chapter 14 of After Virtue, Alistair McIntyre is going to talk about institutions and the roles that they play in relation to practices and virtues. And so we should remind ourselves at the start what he means by institutions. It's a little bit broader than what we might typically associate with that term. It could be something that's a physical community that has its own space. Think about a hospital as an institution for a whole set of practices or a medical group may be that way. A company could be an institution. There may be actual institutions like the you know foundations for things. Schools are institutions, all sorts of other things that we would normally call institutions. But he gives us some, some other examples as well when he wants to clarify the difference between practice and institutions. So he says chess, physics, and medicine are practices. Chess clubs, laboratories, universities, and hospitals are institutions. So a, a club could indeed be an institution. Or we might even think about certain discourses as being institutions. And one that came to my mind as I was preparing to talk about this, especially when we're thinking about virtue ethics, is there's a lot of people out there who have coaching packages that you can buy and ebooks and all sorts of things about the virtues that are basically garbage because they don't really understand virtue in any sense other than just being character traits that we think of as good. They understand it in a very Humean, sort of not even quite Humean way, more like a Humean light way, and they peddle and pander this sort of thing. And those would be examples of institutions that are not doing a good job in fostering the virtues. We could think of other things as well in which people are deliberately focusing on virtue ethics where there's a bit more of a robust engagement. A prime example would be the International Society for McIntyrean Inquiry, which is a bunch of people who are very focused on Alistair McIntyre and his works and theory and apply it in a lot of other ways, which comprises people from Marxists all the way over to, to Thomists and everything in between. That would be an institution. And McIntyre himself, by talking about things in this way, would be saying, well, that institution, it's important, but it's never going to be exactly the same thing as the virtues or the practices that are being sustained by them. So in order to understand this, let's look first at, again, what McIntyre tells us about virtue itself. He tells us, this is a partial definition of a virtue. A virtue is an acquired human quality, the possession and exercise of which tends to enable us to achieve those goods which are internal to practices and the lack of which effectively prevents us from achieving any such goods. He tells us this is preliminary. He's gonna give it a, a further amplification later on, but this is good. So it's an acquired human quality. It's something that we develop and we have to possess it and exercise it. When we do that, we're able to achieve goods internal to practices. So we're able to do the things that the practices have as a telos. And if we don't have these things, then we won't be able to actually do the things that the practices are about. We won't practice the practices well. 
And so virtue is always required. And McIntyre in this chapter actually picks out three that he thinks are particularly architectonic or ruling or necessary. Those are justice, honesty, and courage. Now, how does this tie in with what he has to say about practices? He reminds us that although practices do involve technical performance and skills and standards, they are never just a set of technical skills. So let's take a look at what he says about this. This is quite important. He says, a practice in the sense I intend is never just a set of technical skills, even when directed towards some unified purpose, and even if the exercise of those skills can on occasion be valued or enjoyed for their own sake. What makes it more than that? says, what's distinctive in a practice is in part the way in which conceptions of the relevant goods and ends which the technical skills serve, and every practice does require this exercise, are transformed and enriched by these extensions of human powers and by that regard for its own internal goods, partially de definitive of each particular practice or type of practice. So there's a long-winded way of saying there's always more going on with the practice. Technical skills are part of it, but there's a telos, there's a purpose to it. So medicine is not just about doing things, you know, in a certain way to human bodies. A surgeon may be very, very good, but the surgeon actually needs to know which organs to keep in and take out for the purpose of better health of the person. Just because they can cut them open and rearrange things doesn't mean they should. As a matter of fact, probably they should be rather circumspect in that. An anesthesiologist may get a real kick out of putting people under, but that doesn't mean they need to put people under all the time. There's a given purpose to it and it fits within a matrix of other practices. And so virtue would come in and be quite important with that. And we could talk about other medical things as well. So these always involve, these practices always involve goods and ends that are transformed or enriched. McIntyre also points out that practices as practices have histories. They even have traditions. Some of them may change the goods that they're about in the course of that. He says, practices never have a goal or goals fixed for all time. For example, painting has no such goal, nor has physics, but the goals themselves are transmuted by the history of the activity. The historical dimension is crucial in relation to the virtues. You can think of the virtues as things that run like threads throughout this history, but the virtues themselves are also being learned in the course of a history as well. We have a more developed conception of what honesty would entail if we've actually subordinated ourselves and to, the, to the materials and studied these things in the present than people did say in Homeric Greece. So this brings us to the really key point. What's the relationship between practices and virtues, which people have, people engage in, and can be understood in a kind of general or abstract way. And then the nitty gritty of the actual world that we live in, in which practices generally take place within and fostered by what we can call institutions. So for example, you can practice medicine 
anywhere you want to. You know, doctors used to make a lot more house calls and go around with their kits and bring it where they would go. Although the kit itself is part of an institution, you might say, right? A larger one, letting the doctor in, recognize them as being a medical professional. That's all, you know, a social institution as well. And there are good doctors and there are bad doctors. There are doctors who abused the privilege of being able to operate on, prescribe, diagnose, and there are doctors who used it for to promote great good among people. And we can talk about other things similarly. So there are institutions that support, that house, that teach, that make it possible to continue practices. What is the relationship between them? A lot of times people will make the mistake of identifying a practice with an institution. And as a side note, if we think about certain kinds of practices and certain kinds of institutions, oftentimes institutions try to attain a monopoly over that practice, don't they? Which can be good in some respects, but oftentimes can be quite problematic. It can set things back. It can prevent innovation or it can promote innovation, but of the wrong sort. Innovation by itself is not necessarily a good thing. So practices, as he says, are not the same things as institutions. They must not be confused with institutions. Why? He says institutions are characteristically and necessarily concerned with what I've called external goods. They are involved in making money and other material goods. They are structured in terms of power and status, and they distribute money, power, and status as rewards. And McIntyre is not knocking them for doing that. He says they couldn't do otherwise if they're to sustain not only themselves, but also the practices of which they are the bears. And there's this per perpetual tension, which, by the way, we like to have in, in television shows. I know I'm using a lot of medical examples here, so maybe we'll, we'll think about some other ones in a bit. But what comes to mind is that that in all the medical shows where you've got this great doctor who thinks outside the box and is a diagnostician and you know also goes through tough moral experiments and situations and decides on the right thing or if they do the wrong thing they feel bad about it afterwards right you recognize this character, don't you? And then you have the hospital administrator who is always the stick in the mud saying, no, you can't do that. The rules say this. We have to think about the hospital board. We have to think, avoid lawsuits. We have to, well, both of them are necessary, right? Because the hotshot star doctor can only operate within an institution that continues functioning. And likewise, the hospital administrator, who's, you know, just a bean counter, all about the dollars and cents. Well, they're not actually practicing medicine. They are, they are practicing something within that framework. It might be accountancy. It might be keeping an institution running. Those are practices as well, right? But it's not medicine as such. You need both of those in order to sustain an institution. And you can say the same thing about football teams. You can say the same thing about any other kind of company. Musicians are a great example. You can have virtuoso musicians who, there are so many bands who were disappointed that we only have a few albums of. Why? Because their management was garbage. Either their managers stole all their money or they couldn't get them onto the record labels or they couldn't get them into shows and eventually they had to call it quits. Having good managers is really an important thing. And this is where some people could shine in institutions. I'll give you a prime example from the world of heavy metal. One band that has stuck out for a very long time and has had some, you know, fights within the band and some dysfunction, but it has been a prime 
example of a well-functioning institution most of the time would be Iron Maiden. And why is that the case? It would be because there was one person, there were many other people involved in this as well, but there was one person who thought of, of it in institutional terms really from the start, and that would be the bassist Steve Harris, who technically is one of the best bassists in the heavy metal world, recognized by jazz bassists, so people from other genres as being an incredible musician, but he was also really, really good at running a band. And so that's part of what's needed in institutions. Does that mean that the practices within that are always going to be recognized? He says, no practices can survive any length of time unsustained by institutions. Let's use the music example. You've got these great players. Bruce Dickinson, one of the greatest singers. Steve Harris, one of the greatest bassists. These two amazing guitarists, Adrian Smith and Dave Murray. Two different really great drummers, the late Clive Burr and uh, Nico McBain. And, you know, you've had a singer come in from time to time. There's also Yannick Gares. People are kind of, you know, off and on about him as the third guitarist. And you put these people apart separately. They're all wonderful musicians. They can all do incredible stuff, but they don't exist as that band without that institution keeping it together. That's why when Paul Diano plays Iron Maiden standards, it's not really Iron Maiden. It's Paul Diano or original singer doing that. So in order to sustain certain kinds of practices and the goods that are to be achieved within that, you need the institutions. But he says that institutions are also often corrupting. He says that without justice, courage, and truthfulness, practices cannot resist the corrupting power of institutions, you know, and, and what are the sort of corruption we might think of? Well, making the wrong decisions based on external goods rather than goods internal to the practice. Institutions value those external goods more in some cases than they do the internal goods. So he tells us that if institutions do have corrupting power, the making and sustaining of forms of human community, and therefore of institutions, itself has the characteristics of a practice. And moreover, of a practice which stands in a peculiarly close relationship to the exercise of the virtues in two important ways. The exercise of the virtues is apt to require a highly determinate attitude to social and political issues, and it's always within some particular community with its own specific institutional forms. We learn or fail to learn to exercise the virtues. As a matter of fact, McIntyre at one point, not in this work, but in personal conversations, called the family the original school of desire, the place where we learn what to value, what not to value, what to prioritize. We become virtuous or vicious based on that. So the virtues are needed. The virtues are required in order to keep institutions from corrupting practices, in order to keep institutions honest, you might say, right? And at the same time, virtues themselves need institutions. They're developed within frameworks. They're developed within particular societies and within particular institutions in societies. He tells us the virtues are themselves in turn fostered by certain types of social institution and endangered by others. So this is a, a very important set of interconnected relations. You can't do without institutions. 
you have to have them. And yet by themselves, institutions aren't enough. And there's this constant temptation to think that the institution is what matters when it's really the practices and the virtues that matter more that the institution is supposed to be supporting. And in turn, the virtues help to make sure that the institution doesn't go off the rails and subordinate its practices that it's supposed to be fostering just to the desires, needs of those running the institution or those who the institution caters to. So there's a very complex dynamic here that McIntyre wants us to be attentive to. Special thanks to all of my Patreon supporters for making this podcast possible. You can find me on Twitter at Philosopher70, on YouTube at the Gregory B. Sadler channel, and on Facebook on the Gregory B. Sadler page. Once again, to support my work, go to patreon.com Sadler. Above all, keep studying these great philosophical works.